0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world.
1: Who's looking forward to Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, it's a great day in our church calendar, great day to celebrate together as a church family all that God is doing, and a great day to bless our community. If you haven't been to a Thanksgiving day before, make sure you grab one of these red bags as you head out this morning and bring it back uh, full of food from the shopping list on the QR code on this little card, and uh, it's going to be a great day just to pour out blessings on our community I don't think I've ever lived through a, a time where more hope was needed to be given in our world. And I love the way that our care centres have just given hope week after week to so many families in need, just helping people to see that there's someone who cares. And so we all get to be a part of that uh, in, on the 10th of October. Who here today would? like God, just to fill your heart to overflowing. There's about 16 of you. Um, You know, Paul prays in Romans, he he prays that, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that hope would actually overflow in our hearts. Who wants to join in that prayer this morning, that hope would overflow in our hearts? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God in every situation. You have hope for us. Thank you for the hope that we have in in Jesus Christ. It'll never run out. It'll never be out of reach. It'll never end. It will never be dead because Jesus, you are alive today and forevermore. And God, I pray today that you would help us to see you. Give us fresh revelation. May, may you come into the foreground of our lives, our thoughts, our, in, into our mind and into our hearts, that we would see you and you would fill us with hope today. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Hey, have you ever wondered how many people's uh, random people's photos you've ended up in? You know, you you just happened to be there at the same time, at the same place, while they were taking a photo, and you just happened to be in the the background, and uh, you're there in their picture forever, you're there in their photo forever. Have you ever thought about that? I think about that all the time, and and three of you do as well. Um, You know, I just just wonder if someone's gone away and they've looked at their photo later on and there's some random people in, in the background, but you don't really recognize them and you don't even focus on them because they're random and you don't know who they are. It's happened accidentally for years. In recent times, it's, uh, people have turned it into a sport called photo bombing, where you purposely get into the background of other people's uh, photos that you don't know. But whether it happens deliberately or accidentally, all of us somewhere will be in other people's uh, random photos uh, around the world, and you've never really, you know, been noticed or recognised because you're just in the background. I actually found myself in a background of a couple of random photos recently. I just found myself in the background of of this one, and uh, you've looked at this. You've looked at this picture many, many times, and you've never noticed the bureaucrat in the background. You know, you're focused on on somebody else, and you've never noticed the bureaucrat in the background, but now that you recognise the bureaucrat, You're actually, your focus changes. You're now looking at the bureaucrat rather than Anastasia. We're in the background of a whole bunch of pictures. One that really grinds my gears is uh, this one that I found myself in the background of. You know... (laughs) The backup singers never get, you know, in the limelight, no one pays any attention. You know, everyone's just looking at, at Tay-Tay shaking it off and pays no attention. There's some backup singers, you know, in the back giving their all, you know, to make mu- beautiful music. But you don't focus on the backup singer in the background until you recognize, until you recognize the backup singer and then you focus Changes. We're in the background of all sorts of photos. Let's have a look at this next one I found myself in just accidentally the other day. <laughs> once again, once again, you've you've looked at this picture before, but you're so focused on, on royalty, you don't even notice the innocent bystander in the background. But now that you look out, you recognize the innocent bystander, your focus changes you begin to focus on something different lastly one of the great moments in australian sporting history the 1991 uh, rugby world cup you know the greatest captain you know of the wallabies ever is handed the world cup you know from the queen of england and you've never noticed until today the person the face in the crowd in the background who's actually a time traveler because he's got a smartphone in 1991 but There's just a face in the crowd. You've never looked at the faces in the crowd of that shot before because you're so focused on who's in the foreground. I wonder how often Jesus is actually in our picture, but we're not focused on him and we don't recognise his presence with us. I wonder how often Jesus, the risen Jesus, is in our picture But we don't recognise him because we're not focused on him. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on what is going on around us. We're focused on the road that we're walking down at any season in life and we don't recognise that Jesus is right there with us. This actually happens for a couple. This happens uh, for a couple on the first resurrection Sunday, just a couple of days after they've seen Jesus crucified and they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking down a road to a, a village called Emmaus and it's recorded in Luke chapter 24. So if you've got your Bibles, open to Luke 24. We're going to read it in bits over the next little while, but I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, Now that same day, two of them, we were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. This couple had been following Jesus. We, in a minute we find out one of them's name is Cleopas and, and it's presumed by many commentators that it's his wife Mary who we know was also you know, at, at the cross walking alongside him. We don't know that for sure but we do know Cleopas was married to Mary and she was at the cross and many people believe that it was them as a couple walking away from this crucifixion and burial scene you know, on the first resurrection Sunday towards this place called Emmaus. Whoever they are, they're both followers of Jesus. Christ. They've seen everything that he's done and they've seen everything that has been done to him in the last few days. But as he walks beside them in his resurrected body, they don't recognize him. They don't realize that it's Jesus with them in their picture. And this random bloke walking alongside them says to them in verse 17, what are you discussing as you walk along the road? And Luke helps us to understand that this was a shocking question to them. That This question actually stopped them in their tracks. In the rest of verse 17, Luke says, They stood still. They actually stopped. Because this is an unexpected question. And it says their faces were downcast. Everyone, just give me your best downcast face. Some of you did not have to move a muscle. You know, whenever, whenever you come to church, you've got your downcast face on because it's very serious business and it looks like you've been sucking on a bowl full of lemons. But some of us here today are actually downcast because we too are walking down an unexpected road like this couple. There's been events happen in our life, in our family in the last little while that's unexpected. And you're sad. You're downcast. We all faced unexpected events in our lives that make us sad. We all at times walk down unexpected roads. We get downcast, disillusioned, disappointed. And this moment, Jesus says to them, What are you discussing as you walk along the road? One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Have you been living under a rock, mate? And where have you been? Now at this point, you know, Jesus could have made them look really stupid. He could have actually said, well, yes, I have heard of him. Actually, I was there in the very beginning. And I was there in the middle of the Red Sea. And I was there in the glory of the temple. And I was actually there in bodily form in the manger when shepherds came and declared praises. And wise men came a long way and laid down expensive gifts. I was there. I was there in the boat when, when a big storm came up and I spoke to the wind and the waves and I told them to be still and, and they, will be, they were still. And yes, I was actually there in those last few days. I was there on the cross. I was buried in a tomb. But today is resurrection Sunday, and I'm alive today and forevermore, and I'm walking along beside you right now. I'm in your picture. I am Jesus, you pair of dim sims. If I was Jesus, that's what I'd say. Thankfully, Jesus is much kinder, much more polite than me. He simply says, What things? What things don't I know about? Tell me what you're talking about. Verse 19, it says about Jesus of Nazareth. They said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But I want you to say these next three words with me. But we had hoped. Say it again. We had had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We've all used those words at different times in our lives. We had hoped to have the perfect marriage, raise the perfect kids in the perfect home, but somewhere along the road, our relationship went Down an unexpected way and we lost what we'd hoped for. We had hoped to set up a business and make our lives comfortable and and easy. But we faced unexpected events and we've lost it all. And we've ended up in a place we never expected to be. We had hoped to make a difference with our lives. Big dreams, big hopes to make a difference with our lives. But somewhere along the way, we got distracted by the road that we were walking down. We, we lost sight you know, of Jesus and we ended up in an unexpected place where we didn't expect to be. And when we've lost our hopes and our dreams. Oh, we had hoped that all of our kids would choose to follow Christ, but our son chose to walk down a road that we didn't expect and now he's lost and our hope is lost. We had hoped. We've all said those words at different times, gone down an unexpected road and hope is now lost. This couple walking down the road, walking down an unexpected road, they had hoped that Jesus of Nazareth was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, Cleopas and, and Mary, or Cleopas and his mate, were uh, part of the, um, the the chosen people. They were part of the nation of Israel, and their life did have purpose. They, they, they were to represent God on earth. They were to, to be carriers of the glory of God that would actually, other nations would look in at the glory of God in, in Israel and understand who God was because God was with them. That was their, that was their purpose in life. But in their lifetime, in the lifetime of their parents and their grandparents, in fact, their whole modern history, there was no glory in Israel, only suffering. They'd suffered under nation after nation, empire after empire, who had dominated them and and subdued them and made, made their life a living hell. The glory that they were created for that they were chosen for, was not to be seen in Israel, but only suffering. They'd heard the promises through, throughout uh, uh, the scriptures of God, not giving up on his people, but there would be a day when he would send a saviour, he would send a messiah, you know, who would save, who would redeem, who would buy back, you know, his people, his, his nation, And then they'd seen Jesus. They they knew all these promises about this coming Messiah. And they saw Jesus and they saw him perform miracles like no one had ever performed before. They heard him teach like no one had ever taught before. And they had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and their suffering was going to be over. And as they walk along this unexpected road, they're feeling downcast, they're feeling sad, and they're feeling hopeless. Because in the last few days, Jesus hadn't just died, Jesus was crucified. They'd seen him arrested, spat upon, flogged, and then nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb. Now, crucifixion was actually saved for, for anyone who, who, who was seen to the possibility or the potential of usurping Rome's power. They would make a public spectacle of them by crucifying them naked up on the hill to make it clear to everybody still living in town Rome will not be defeated. There is no power greater than Rome. Rome will win in the end. That's what crucifixion was for. That's why you know it was done. You know, up on a hill for everybody to see. Don't you dare try and oppose the power of Rome. Rome will win in the end. These people with great hopes of what Jesus was going to do and how he was going to save them from their suffering, are now walking down an unexpected road. They're downcast. They're sad. They're hopeless. It says, Even on this day, there's been some strange reports. Verse 24, The women went to the tomb and said, The body is not there. You know, they'd seen you know, Jesus die. They'd seen him placed in a tomb. Now his body's missing. And they're confused. And they're asking some of the same questions that we ask when we're walking down unexpected roads. Where's God in all of this? Why did God let this happen? Is God really in control? Is God really still for us? They're walking down an unexpected road. They're sad. They're feeling hopeless. All of their hopes that they had in Jesus were dead and buried in that tomb. And they're confused. We just can't work out what is going on. Jesus says this. Verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow to believe All that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, they thought that God was going to send a Messiah who would save Israel from their suffering. But the stranger walking along the road explains to them throughout the whole of the Bible that the the Messiah will save Israel and actually will save the entire world through his suffering. He's actually going to take on the suffering of sin and evil and go through death and come out the other side and give new hope to all people for all time. And the stranger pointed them to 613 Old Testament laws and over 300 prophecies, you know, spoken over 500 years that were all perfectly fulfilled in this one man named Jesus. You know, the suffering of Jesus on the cross was not some random event, it was not some picture of Roman domination. You know, the suffering of of Christ on the cross was, was not a story of God losing his power, of God's people being, you know, defeated by evil once again. But it's a story of God defeating the power of sin and evil and death for all people, for all time. As they gathered, verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. There's some really important words coming up. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Luke really carefully includes some important words in this story. They're words that this couple would have heard their entire lives from the first ever Sunday school lesson. They would have heard these words. They would have heard about the first ever married couple in the world, Adam and Eve, that as they took the forbidden fruit and ate the fruit, it says, "...their eyes were opened." and for the first time in human history, they saw death and evil. Their eyes were opened to see sin and the consequences of sin, which is death. And then here in this story, as this couple walking along the road sit down at a table with Jesus and they don't eat fruit but they break bread and begin to eat the bread. Their eyes were opened and they saw for the first time that death has been defeated. Their eyes were opened and they could see that sin doesn't get the last word. Their eyes were opened and they could see that death is not the end of the story. Their eyes were opened and they could see that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in the greatest act of power the world has ever seen. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, every hope in every heart was raised up with him. Yeah, say an amen. That's good news. An old fella named... uh, Coravaggio painted this picture. This is what this is the way he depicted it. As Jesus sat at the table with his couple. Their eyes were opened. They looked in awe and wonder and amazement and with new hope in their heart as he held out his hand, and you can just see the shadow on the table. Of the holes in his hands. Their eyes were opened and they saw the resurrected Jesus. Their eyes were opened and they saw the risen Jesus and there was new hope in their heart. Jesus was in their picture all along. But up until this moment, this moment depicted on the screen, they weren't focused on Jesus, they were focused on the road they were walking down. And they didn't recognise him. And so they were downcast. They were hopeless and they were confused. But when they see that Jesus has been in the picture all along and they see that he's defeated sin and death, they see the risen Jesus. There is hope that's renewed in their heart. Now that's not your picture. You've all got a different picture right now. And I don't know all the details of your picture. But what I do know is that Jesus is in your picture. The risen Jesus is in your picture. If your picture right now is a picture of sadness and downcast, I want to encourage you today to refocus on the risen Jesus who's in your picture. Bring him into the foreground. Because he comforts the brokenhearted. You, You can cast all of your burdens upon him because he cares for you. If your picture right now is is one of confusion, what is going on in this world? What is going on in my life, my family? Where is God? Can I encourage you today? Jesus is in your picture. Refocus on the risen Jesus, the one who did fulfill every prophecy spoken about him throughout all of history Every promise was fulfilled in him. And he actually, as we look at future promises, he never promised that this life that we live here on earth would be pain-free. What he did promise is that as you walk through painful times, as you walk down unexpected roads, I'll be in the picture. I'll be with you. And this pain you're walking through right now is not the end of your story. If your picture is one of hopelessness right now, it's kind of like all of your hopes and your dreams seem seem dead and buried right now. Refocus your eyes on the risen Jesus. He brings beauty from ashes. He turns mourning into dancing. He has gone through death and come out the other side. He's alive today and forevermore. And he's in your picture And when he's in your picture, it means he's close. When he's in your picture, it means hope is within reach. And this is the cool bit. I want you to get this this morning. Even if your eyes aren't focused on him, he's focused on you. You are not just a face in the crowd to him. He sees you. He's got hope for you. He loves you. And he will for all of eternity. Whatever the picture of your life is right now, I want to encourage you to refocus on the risen Jesus. And he will renew hope in your heart. Let me finish practically. Three practical things I think we can do to refocus on the risen Jesus. The first one is this. To read your Bible every day until your heart burns. I love this verse in here. It says, Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus points to himself in the Old Testament and he explains that he's fulfilled every prophecy, you know, ever spoken about the Messiah. And mathematicians have worked out that for that to just randomly happen to one people, one person, not God's plan, just random. It would be like filling the whole of Tasmania with $1 coins waist deep and throwing one $1 coin with an X marked on the back into the middle. And the possibility of one man randomly fulfilling every prophecy over 500 years in his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection... Would be like finding that one dollar coin when you've only got one chance to pick up one coin when the whole of Tasmania is filled with one dollar coins waist deep. Now, Tasmania's not that big, but that's a whole lot of one dollar coins. This word, Jesus is in every single page. This word makes sense. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus This word is alive because Jesus is alive you, you want to refocus on the risen Jesus And let him renew hope in your heart There's something you've got to do Read your Bible until your heart burns. We don't like heartburn very much. Some of us here have got a packet of quickies in our pockets or a bottle of Gaviscon at home because you ate too much pizza last night or whatever you shouldn't have eaten. And you kind of, we don't like that feeling. This is good heartburn. As they're walking along and they're hearing these scriptures, they're no longer just words on a page. They're no longer empty promises. They're no longer f- feeling hopeless. But Jesus brings the word of God alive. And if we're to keep refocusing on the risen Jesus, letting him renew hope in our heart. We've got to read our Bible every day until our heart burns because Jesus is alive in every page. He's got a word for you in every season and every unexpected road you walk down. He's got an encouragement for you to keep walking, to stay faithful, but you've got to open the jolly thing. That's why I I love the the SOAP version of devotionally reading the Bible. SOAP just stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, I just read the Bible until my heart burns, and until life just jumps out at me. Sometimes I read two verses. Sometimes I read three chapters. But when I just feel that's the living word for me today, I just write it down in my journal. O just stands for observation. You know, what's God saying in this moment? What's God doing in this moment? A, application. You know, what is it that he's asking me to do? How's he encouraging me? How's he speaking life into me? And P is a prayer. Just writing it out as a prayer. You want to refocus your eyes on the risen Jesus. Open it and read it until your heart burns. Secondly, you want to refocus on the risen Jesus, you've got to remind one another every week of the resurrection. They got up, it says verse 33, returned at once to Jerusalem, there they found the 11 uh, with them, assembled together, and saying, "It's true. The Lord's risen and has appeared to Simon." And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when He broke the bread. These two people walking down the road they actually see the risen Jesus but they're not the only ones. He also appeared to Simon. He also appeared to, to Mary and the women. He actually appeared to 500 people over a period of 6 weeks. And then many others believed because of their testimony. Now if I said to you, you know, this week I saw, you know, Queen Elizabeth II shopping at the Logan Hyperdome, you'd go, "You're nuts." What sort of pastor have we got here? If Queen Elizabeth II went shopping in Brisbane, she'd go to Carondale for sure. <laughs> but if 500 people walked into this room and over a period of six weeks said, I saw Queen Elizabeth II, the hyperdale, you'd start to listen to this power in testimony. Jesus appeared in a resurrected body. 500 people over six weeks, and many of them died because they refused to stop telling people that Jesus was alive. If you knew it was a lie, you knew you made it up, as you're getting a knife to your throat or nails going through your hands, it'd probably be the moment. You'd say, actually, I was just kidding. We just made it up. His power, the testimony. This is the first assembly of believers. This is the first time believers in the resurrected Jesus came together. This is the first church service. Here, in Luke chapter 24, where the resurrection of Jesus was declared together and they believed together because of one another's testimony. And ever since then, Through the ages, around the world, people have been assembling together to remind one another of the power of the resurrection of Christ. Your testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus in your life actually helps other people see that Jesus is in their picture. It's why we gather together like this on a Sunday, whether you're online or whether you're here in this room. You want to keep refocused on the risen Jesus Let him renew hope in your heart. We've got to remind one another of the resurrection every week. Where's Sarah? Your testimony in that baptistry today of the resurrection power of Jesus in your life is going to give me strength and hope and joy for months to come. Come on, how good was it? Our testimonies of the resurrection power of Christ actually helps all of us refocus on the risen Jesus. We assemble together to remind one another of our glorious eternity, and it changes our reaction to our current calamity. You know, I showed you the photo of uh, Australia. Winning the World Cup in 1991. In 1991, I was first year out of high school. Mad on rugby. Loved rugby. I remember sitting up watching the Rugby World Cup that was uh, held in the UK, uh, and so it was always on in the middle of the night uh, in in Australia. And we'd gather, you know, in our lounge room, and and we'd watch these games. And you know, Australia were in, in great form. We got to the quarter final. In, uh, against uh, Ireland at Lansdowne Road. And we're all sitting there, we're expecting Australia to win and progress the semi-final and the final. But then Australia started dropping the ball and Ireland got in front. And then the ref made some bad calls and Ireland got in front. And I remember sitting in our lounge room with my mates Every time Australia dropped the ball, we'd throw something at the TV and we'd start declaring, man, I could play better than that. And every time the ref made a dud call, we'd be on our feet and yelling abuse at the ref. Remember, this is a long, long time ago. I wouldn't do that today. But all the way back then, I did. Because we were stressed. We were worried. We were anxious that Australia was going to get defeated and eliminated. And our dreams of them winning the World Cup was over and with 60 seconds to go, Ireland was up 18 to 15 and it looked like the unexpected was gonna happen. Australia was going to get defeated. 60 seconds to go, 18 15. There's a scrum on the 22 meter line and the ball comes up the, out the back. Nick Farr Jones picks it up at halfback, passes it to, to Michael Liner at 5'8", passes it on to Jason Little, passes it to Tim Horan, Tim Horan passes it to the magician David Campisi and he sets his sights for the corner and we're hoping and we're praying He's going to make it for the corner. But they tackled him with a metre to go and he rolled over on his shoulder and he popped the ball up to Michael Liner, who was following through and and he grabbed the ball and it might come up on the screen and he dived over the line and scored the try and Australia beat Ireland 19 to 18. And all was good in the world. I've watched that game many times since. I don't throw things at the TV when they drop the ball or when the ref makes a bad call anymore. Not because I've grown up and matured. It's got nothing to do with that. It's because I know who wins in the end. I don't get stressed anymore. Because at Lansdowne Road on Saturday afternoon in 1991, Australia defeated Ireland and went on to win the World Cup, and they were handed the trophy from Queen Elizabeth II. But I'm sure you know where I'm going here. Much more importantly, on the Emmaus Road, 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, the living son of God, walked out of a tomb and down a road because he defeated sin and death and he has been crowned king of kings and lord of lords. I know who wins in the end. Some of you have dropped the ball this week. Some of you have had a rough call. You're stressed out and you're worried and you're throwing things. You're angry. You're downcast. Can I encourage us today? This is one of the reasons we gather together. We remind one another of the resurrection. We know who wins in the end. We remind one another of our glorious eternity and it changes our reaction to our current calamity. Refocus on the risen Jesus. Read the Bible till your heart burns. Let's keep reminding one another of the resurrection when you walk. When you know who wins in the end, you need not worry when you walk down unexpected roads. We're not walking down the Emmaus Road after witnessing the crucifixion of Christ, but we are as a globe walking down an unexpected road. I actually believe this is a pivotal time in church history. And it's not time to get distracted. It's not time to lose hope. But it's time to refocus on the risen Jesus. Lastly, the thing that I think is really important for us to do is to remain alert in prayer, but not alarmed by global pandemics. Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's never been more true than it is now in our lifetime. Be alert and pray when the world is undergoing significant suffering because the enemy is looking to take people down that's why assembling together like this is so important but this is not a time for Sunday Christianity I actually believe it's a time to pray like Daniel three times a day he just kept going down his knees in the midst of suffering. It looked like you know, God's purposes were never going to come to be. He'd keep getting down on his knees when everybody opposed him. Even in the face of death, he would get down on his knees as he had done every other day and he'd pray three times a day and he'd remind himself of who God is. Remain alert in prayer but not alarmed by global pandemics. Just in the days before, Jesus' crucifixion. He said this. I think these are important words for us. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Too many people are alarmed at the moment. Too many people in the church are alarmed. Such things must happen, he says, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, even in Melbourne. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Just expect it. It shouldn't be unexpected. Make sure you pray. Remain alert in prayer, but not alarmed by global pandemics. Actually, he says in Luke's gospel, just after these words, when, when, when things begin you know, to, you know, to, to look hard, when big, hard things begin to happen, this is what I want my church to do. Luke uh, 21 verse 28, he says, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Be alert in prayer, but not alarmed by global pandemics. Every generation has needed to listen to Jesus' words because every generation has faced disturbing events that alarmed them. Not many of us would remember this, and I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if you do, because it means you're really old. But in the late 1940s, after the atomic bomb was dropped in several places, the Western world was alarmed. Everyone was talking about atomic bombs. Everyone was worried about atomic bombs. Everyone had front and centre in their mind this atomic threat. There was great fear and panic, and people were alarmed. And C.S. Lewis, who is a great Christian writer, was asked in 1948, what do you think about this atomic threat the world is facing? As I read what he wrote in an essay all those years ago, what I want you to do is replace the word atomic bomb or atomic threat or atomic age with COVID or coronavirus. All right, every time it says atomic... Just put coronavirus in there. I think this is the word in season for us. 1948, C.S. Lewis said, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply. Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night Or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long, downcast faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint. C.S. Lewis wasn't a Queensland Baptist. And a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. Can I hear an amen? Amen. This is not a time to huddle together like frightened sheep. This is a time to put our hope in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got to say, church, I, I am, I am, you've heard me say this many times, I love being your pastor. I've been very proud to be your pastor over the last 18 months. Just watching you hold firm in your faith, stay committed to fellowship in whatever way we could. You've held on to hope and you've given hope and we're going to keep giving hope in those red bags in a couple of weeks time. But can I encourage us, let's not get distracted and disillusioned or downright angry now. I actually believe the next few months are going to be very difficult for our nation as we grapple with the impact of vaccination passports and roadmaps to freedom, I can see the potential that we're already beginning to see of great anger and division. If for anything like me, I found myself getting frustrated and thinking some futile thoughts that weren't helping me. This has been a reminder to me not to focus on the road that we're walking down, but to refocus on the risen Jesus and let Him renew hope in our heart. Because the world around us, hang on, the world around us, your neighbours, the people you live, work and laugh with, I'm telling you, they already need hope and comfort, but I believe they're going to need it more than ever in some of the months to come, some of the decisions that happen, some of the frustrations that boil up. Whatever road you're walking down right now, Jesus is in your picture. But the question is, are you focused on the risen Jesus or are you focused on the road you're walking down? He's in your picture. That means... He's close, hope is within reach and even if you haven't had your eyes focused on him, his eyes are focused on you. Let's refocus on the risen Jesus and let him renew the hope in our heart. Can we stand together? We're going to sing an old song. It just simply says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I just believe we need to choose to do that for a moment. As we're doing that, I just know that some of you here today, just God's got you here on purpose. He's got you here because He wants to renew hope in your heart. It might be your faith has been shaky. It might be your family. you just kind of lost hope in God bringing you together, bringing others back to faith. You might have lost hope in your, the dream that you had for your life, for your ministry, for your business. I just know Jesus is calling us today to actually repent to refocus on Him and He will renew the hope in our heart. I know some of you, it's like the plug has been pulled out of your heart and hope's just been draining out with everything that's happening around you. And today He's wanting to put the plug back in. He's wanting to fill your heart with hope so that like Paul prayed in Romans, our heart can actually overflow with hope because you need hope but the world around you needs hope. Hey, if you just... Want me to pray for you today that God will renew hope in your heart? As Mark needs to lead us in this song, just come to the front. I'm going to get the prayer team, the pastoral team, to come down too. But just start to come. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute.
0: Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for. In his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strange, we dim in the light of his glory.
1: some of you here just need God to renew hope in your heart just come now I'm going to pray for you there's some others here I'd love to just stand with you and pray for you but just, just come right now I want to pray I know there's more of you here today there's, there's some hopes and dreams that have ended up dead and buried and God's renewing hope today He's renewing hope in what He's got for your family He's renewing hope in His promises in your life and your business never a God who gives us hopes and dreams to frustrate us, but He puts hopes and dreams in our heart, because He actually has a purpose for us, and today this renewing hope. for some of you, there's a prayer you've prayed for your family, and you've actually given up hope on seeing breakthrough, and today you just want to renew hope. He's calling you to persevere in faith, to stand firm in faith. And to keep praying that prayer until you see it happen. Come on, just just begin to come. Because I want to pray for you right now. I'm just going to ask everybody. Come on, just, just for those that are down here, just begin to reach out a hand. Pray for someone today. Pray that there be an overflow of hope. This is what Paul prays in Romans 15. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask God that you would do that by your Spirit here in this moment. God, where there are hopes and dreams that are filled dead and buried, God, would you help us today to stand firm in our faith, to not waver, to keep our eyes focused on you, Trusting in your power. Trusting in your glory. Trusting in your grace. God, I pray that you'd renew hope. Just put that, put that plug, I pray, in our hearts today, God. you'd f- fill us with hope. There'd be an overflow in our lives. It'd overflow into our families. That would overflow into the marketplace. It'd overflow to our neighborhoods. That we would be givers of hope. To those in our community, God, there be just something overflowing in us. We just, we just want to reach out and give hope to those around us. God, today, I pray that that hope of seeing a whole family redeemed, God, would you restore it today? That that hope, that dream to make a difference for our lives somewhere in the globe, God, would you restore it today? Where we're just weary and tired, God, would you renew us with your hope to be an overflow of your Holy Spirit. God, that our testimony would actually become an encouragement to others needing hope. I pray in Jesus' name. Hey, just keep coming if you need someone to pray with you this morning. I'll be down here for a while. We're just going to sing one final chorus, great song based on the the truth in in 1 Peter about Jesus being our living hope, giving us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, we need to lift our voices and declare hope this morning. Come on, lift lift your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Speak out the hope that we have in Christ.
0: Hallelujah.
1: that you'd see Jesus. God bless you. And see you next Sunday.
0: We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.